Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. And you are listening to episode 145, part three. 145, part three. Now, I don't know if Dr. Rothschild would appreciate me lumping her in to my continuing research of Theodore Kaczynski, the Unabomber, but unfortunately, that's just how the cookie crumbles. You know, I, I gave her book a free plug. She has no idea I was going to do this. Neither did I. I mean, I literally just got home with Maggie and Willie G, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go over this document, and then I decided, what the heck? I might as well give you some information on this doctor if you're going to look for a similar doctor in your area. So uh, what the heck, I gave her the free plug on the book, and now we've got to move forward into the continuing research here on uh, Theodore Kaczynski, the Unabomber, and his paper written in 1995, Industrial Society and Its Future. So we just finished up a section in theatlantic.com, and this was on episode 143, I believe. Uh, Yes, because 144, we had Dana on, Outlaw Dana. And you guys need to check out that show, folks, Outlaw Dana. Um, All right, so here we are. We are now in this section, Exceedingly Stable. It's a brand new section because we had just finished up everything on the uh, manifesto. And remember, uh, let's just go back up for a second. This is a piece written by Alston Chase. Alston Chase also graduated from Harvard, like Ted Kaczynski. Austin Chase also got a PhD, and Austin Chase moved out to a homestead in Montana with his wife to escape people. They had no electricity, no running water, and uh, Ted Kaczynski did the same on his own when he escaped out to his piece of property and lived in that cabin with no running water or electricity. So Austin Chase wrote this uh, piece. If you haven't listened to this, uh, we started it in episode 143. So I'm going to just move forward. It's exceedingly stable. It says, number eight, Prescott Street in Cambridge, is a well-preserved three-story Victorian frame house standing just outside Harvard Yard. Today, it houses Harvard's expository writing program. But in September of 1958, when Ted Kaczynski, just 16, arrived at Harvard, 8 Prescott Street was a more unusual place, a sort of incubator. Earlier that year, F. Skitty Von Stade Jr., yes, F. Skitty Von Stade Jr., Harvard's dean of freshmen, had decided to use the house as a living accommodations for the brightest, youngest freshmen. Von Stade's well-intentioned idea was to provide these boys with a 
nurturing intimate environment so that they wouldn't feel lost as they might in the larger less personal dorms but in so doing he isolated the overly studious and less mature boys from their classmates he inadvertently created a ghetto for grinds making social adjustment for them more rather than less difficult well i don't know it says uh that was a well-intentioned choice and it turned out that uh it was not so good but who knows folks maybe that was done on purpose uh, i'm not going to go down that path but sometimes i wonder I-, I don't believe necessarily in unintended consequences when it's at the higher levels i believe all consequences are intended and usually if something good comes from those that would be the unintended consequence the intended consequences are actually what are the goals and those are usually the bad parts of technology quote i lived at prescott street that year too end quote michael stuckey told me recently quote and like kaczynski i was majoring in mathematics yet i swear i never even saw the guy end quote stuckey who recently retired after a career in computers lived alone on the top floor far from kaczynski's ground floor dorm in the unsocial society of eight prescott that was a big distance quote it was not unusual to spend all of one's uh, time in one's room and then rush out the door to library or class end quote stuckey said francis murphy the prescott street proctor was a graduate student who had studied for the catholic priesthood and to Kaczynski, it seemed the house was intended to be run more like a monastery than a dorm. Whereas other freshmen lived in suites with one or two roommates, six of the 16 students of Prescott Street, including Kaczynski, lived in single rooms. All but seven intended to major in a mathematical science. All but three came from high schools outside New England and therefore knew few people in Massachusetts. They were in Murphy's word, quote, a serious, quiet bunch, end quote. Sounds like they had him uh, locked up in solitary confinement, folks. Goes on to say much has been made of Kaczynski's being a, quote, loner, end quote, and of his having been further isolated by Harvard's famed snobbism snobbism was indeed pervasive at harvard back then a single false uh, sartorial step could brand one an outcast and kaczynski looked shabby he owned just two pairs of slacks and only a few shirts although he washed these each week in the coin-operated machine in the basement of the house next door to a prescott they became increasingly ragtag But it is a mistake to exaggerate Kaczynski's isolation. Most public high schoolers at Harvard in those days, including Kaczynski, viewed the Tweedy in-crowd as so many button-down buffoons who did not realize how ridiculous they looked. And the evidence is that Kaczynski was neither exceptionally a loner, nor at least in his early years at Harvard alienated from the school or his peers. Uh, It's actually funny. 
Because up until that sentence there, it says, and the evidence is that Kaczynski was neither exceptionally a, a loner, nor at least in his early years at Harvard, alienated from the school or his peers. It was sounding like the setup of, say, uh, Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid, where Daniel comes from uh, what, New Jersey, and he's all kind of ragtag. He looks beat up, and he lands there in uh, California with all the blonde-haired guys with the letter jackets and the Cobra Kai uh, gear. And the tight jeans and like the uh, feathered, blow-dried uh, blonde hair. And so he's this outcast. He looks like a poor little Italian kid amongst all these white, blue-eyed wasps. Uh, it goes on to say, Harvard was a, quote, tremendous thing for me, end quote, Kaczynski wrote in an unpublished autobiography that completed in 1998 and showed to me, quote, I got something that I had been needing all along without knowing it, namely hard work requiring self-discipline and strenuous exercise of my abilities. I threw myself into this. I thrived on it. Feeling the strength of my own will, I became enthusiastic about willpower, end quote. Freshmen were required to participate in sports, so Kaczynski took up swimming and then wrestling. He played the trombone, as he had in high school, even joining the Harvard Band, which he quit almost as soon as he learned that he would have to attend drill sessions. He played pickup basketball. He made a few friends. One of his housemates, Gerald Burns, remembers sitting with Kaczynski in an all-night cafeteria arguing about the philosophy of Kant. After Kaczynski's arrest, Burns wrote to the anarchist journal Fifth Estate that Kaczynski, quote, was as normal as I am now. It was just harder on him because he was much younger than his classmates, end quote. And indeed, most reports of his teachers, his academic advisor, his housemaster, and the health services staff suggest that Kaczynski was in his first year at Harvard entirely balanced, although tending to be a loner. The health services doctor who interviewed Kaczynski as part of the medical examination Harvard required for all freshmen observed, quote, good impression created, attractive, mature for age, relaxed, talks easily, fluently, and pleasantly, like people, uh, likes people, and gets on well with them. May have many acquaintances, but makes his friends carefully. Prefers to be by himself part of the time at least. Maybe slightly shy. Essentially a practical and realistic planner and an efficient worker. Exceedingly stable, well integrated, and feels secure with himself. Usually very adaptable. May have many achievements and satisfactions. End quote. God, I, I hate to see what would happen if people dug... Uh, 21 years back in my life, started interviewing people from my college. Woo! The things that would come out, folks. The things that would come out. It goes on to say, the doctor further described Kaczynski thus, quote, pleasant young man who is below usual college entrance age, apparently a good mathematician, but seems to be gifted in this direction only. Plans not crystallized yet, but this is to be expected at his age is slightly shy and retiring, but not to any abnormal extent. Should be a steady worker, end quote. All right, so now this is uh, setting up here, uh, obviously laying out what he was like in college because this author wants to get into uh, the, the mind-bending that went on here at Harvard. And that's why we're going through this article because it's going to be the foundation for what I'm about to show you in the next uh, episode or so 
on Henry Murray, who actually ran this mind control program and the connections of this program to um, uh, MK Ultra. And the reason why we're doing this is because I myself, and I, I know a lot of people have studied Kaczynski over the years. I have as well, but I know many of you haven't. And uh, when I started to talk about this in episode 10, people reached out and they wanted more. And I had decided at that point to wait, you know, 140 episodes to get into this because I think we needed to build a foundation of all the technologies that exist today before we went back and looked at the 95 paper, Industrial Society of the Future, and showed that it really predicted exactly where we are today. And it actually predict, predicts the future, where we're going from here. And so now we're looking at the man who's supposedly behind it. There are some uh, pieces that I've wanted to investigate that I haven't looked into throughout the years that we're going to get into. And I just want to have a more solid understanding of the person who actually is credited with writing this paper. Where it goes, I'm not 100% sure, but that's okay, folks. I don't have to have a big, uh, a big whoa, look at this behind the curtain. It's the Wizard of Oz. Uh, we're going to go where this takes us. And to be honest, I already know it connects into a lot of the other stuff we covered here. It connects into MKUltra. It connects into government mind control. And so I think these type of stories that we pull from the past and then show how they connect into what we're looking at right now in the present are very important if we want to have a solid understanding of this slave planet system that we are living in today. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. I'm going to step outside of the slave planet system. I'm going to have a sip of tea, and I'll be back with you momentarily. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to my show, folks, the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let me pull this back up here, theatlantic.com. We are now on a new section called The Roots of the Unabomber. In 1952, when Kaczynski was 10, his parents moved from Chicago to the suburban community of Evergreen Park. In order, they later explained to Ted to provide him with a better class of friends. The community into which the Kaczynskis moved would soon be in turmoil. Evergreen Park was a mixed neighborhood of Irish, Italians, Czechs, and Poles who now felt themselves under siege by yet another group of new rivals. On May 17, 1954, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka that segregated schooling was unconstitutional. To many people in Evergreen Park, this was tantamount to a declaration of war. Even before the court's decision, they had feared what they saw as black encroachment. African-American communities stood just next door, and black families came to town to shop and eat at Evergreen Park restaurants. Black teenagers hung around Evergreen Plaza. 
This environment tended to isolate the Kaczynskis, who by several accounts were liberal on race matters. Aggravating their isolation was Evergreen Park's fragmented school system. Until 1955, the town had no public high school building, and students were bused to high schools in surrounding communities. Evergreen Park High School was not completed until 1955, and Ted Kaczynski, who became a member of the first class that spent all four years there, found himself in a school without cohesion or community, where few of the students knew one another. As Spencer Gilmore, a former science teacher, lamented, there was, quote, no commonality in the student body, end quote. Howard Finkel, who was then a social studies teacher, describes Evergreen Park in those years as a school for strangers. Soon the school was uh, arriving by cliques. Now, I I will say this. I grew up in a town of 10,000, moved into this town, Northford, Connecticut, when I was five. So I started kindergarten there and lived there my whole life. So I grew up from kindergarten all the way through a senior in high school with uh, all the same kids. I had different friends throughout the years, but we all knew each other. You knew the town. You could ride your bike, you know, five miles across town when you were younger. When you got cars, obviously, it was much faster. We all worked together, did Boy Scouts together, played sports together, drank together, uh, experimented with drugs together, dated all the same girls back and forth. I mean, that's how it worked in a small town. Now, when I was a stepfather to my ex-wife's children, We were living in East Nashville, Tennessee at first before we moved out to the suburbs. And it was so cool, you know, because they were talking about magnet schools and this school. And you could go to all these different schools. And the older kid, he went to the best academic magnet school in Tennessee. But then I realized, I mean, in Nashville, but then I realized it was horrible. It was horrible. Like every three, four years, he was switching schools. He never built a foundation of friends. And then you would go to the school, and then he'd come home. You'd have to go pick him up because the buses didn't run. You go pick him up from school. Then he wants to hang out with the girl that he met at school, you know, before he has a car. And then uh, you call her parents, and you find out she's an hour and 45 minutes across the other side of Nashville. So you got, you would have to drive an hour and 45 minutes, drop him off. And then what, drive an hour and 45 minutes back home, and then an hour and 45 minutes the other way? So these kids couldn't build any long-term relationships so we got him out of there we moved to the suburbs i talked my ex into it i said let's have some stability uh for these kids so we moved into a nice suburb where uh they they built friends really quickly in a matter of a year they had great friends i think they're still there uh i don't i don't talk to my ex so i think they're still there and they they uh you know live that suburban lifestyle but uh yeah it was brutal before and i could tell it was taking a toll on them and you know, all of a sudden you become friends with kids, and then the next thing you know, you're going to go to a different school than they're going to, and it's just, uh, it get, there's no stability. All right, it says here, despite this fractured environment, school administrators sought to push the students hard academically. Quote, the fact to keep in mind about Evergreen Park, end quote, Kaczynski's algebra teacher Paul Jenkins told me, quote, is that Gene Howard, the principal of Evergreen Park High School at the time, enjoyed a big budget. He had combed the country for the best instructors he could find, folks who would be teaching junior college in most places. Yet most of the kids were incredibly naive. 
Some had never even been to downtown Chicago. The faculty was presenting them with ideas they'd never encountered before. Some hated the experience, others loved it, and it blew the minds of some, including perhaps Ted. But in a school where the most popular boys carried cigarette packs rolled up in the sleeves of their t-shirts, excelling in academics meant social exile. I actually used to do that in high school. I'd get in trouble all the time for it. I walked around like I was in the... In the movie Grease, like I was John Travolta or something. Goes on to say, uh, what pressures did Kaczynski face among his family? Ted Kaczynski insists that the Kaczynski home was an unhappy one and that his social isolation came about because his parents pushed him too hard academically. David and Wanda say theirs was a happy and normal home, but that Ted had shown signs of extreme alienation since childhood. David is his brother who turned him in. Wanda is his mom. goes on to say when family members squabble, it is almost impossible for anyone, least of all an outsider, to know who is right. And the Kaczynskis are squabblers. The letters and other materials Kaczynski sent me in the course of our correspondence, including his 1998 autobiography containing quotations from doctors, teachers, and college advisors, naturally support his version. Unfortunately, however, I am limited in my ability to use these because Kaczynski has continually changed his mind about the terms and conditions for the use of his autobiography and other documents. Nevertheless, most of the people I interviewed tended to support most of his claims. I offer my own interpretation of his family relations, which is supported by interviews and infused with knowledge of documents that Kaczynski sent to me goes on to say Kaczynski's father, Theodore R. Turk Kaczynski, that was his nickname, Turk, was a self-educated free thinker living in a conventionally Catholic working class community. In his autobiography, Kaczynski claims, and a close friend of Turk's confirms, that Wanda, his mother, tended to be fearful that their family would be perceived as different. Although nonconformist, the Kaczynskis wanted to be perceived as conforming. Thus, Kaczynski, that, that would be what Kaczynski talks about in Industrial Society's Future, over-socialization, where you feel like you have to fit into this uh, social system. It's like with me and my wife, you know. I, I, I know. You speak out, uh, you know, or you say to somebody, my kid's unvaccinated, not to start trouble, but if you're not within your clique and your community of folks that are unvaccinated, others look at you like you're crazy. So sometimes you temper what you say to other people because you don't want to perceive, be perceived as crazy. And um, not that my wife makes me do it, but uh, in some cases it's not worth uh, being ostracized because you have to deal with these people on other levels. I mean, you can't build a wall around yourself and then not interact with anyone else. I mean, not at my age. Maybe if you're 65, you could do that. Goes on to say, thus, thus Kaczynski records... Uh, although the Kaczynskis were atheists, his parents instructed him to tell people they were Unitarians. The tension created by the family's efforts to look good to the neighbors increased significantly when in fifth grade Kaczynski scored 176 on an IQ test. He skipped the sixth grade, leaving his friends behind to enter a new class as the smallest kid in the room. 
From then on, according to Kaczynski and also according to others who knew the family, his parents valued his intellect as a trophy that gave the Kaczynskis special status. They began to push him to study, lecturing him if his report card showed any grade below an A. Meanwhile, Turks seemed to... Uh, seemed, to Kaczynski at least, to become increasingly cold, critical, and distant. All right, now, that's not a weird thing. We see that a lot. I mean, whether your kid is a good athlete or your kid is great at school, sometimes you put them up on a pedestal and it's not necessarily great for the kid. It doesn't mean the parents are bad-intentioned. I mean, my, my parents did it to me for different reasons. I was a great uh, artist that came from my mother's side, and I won all kinds of awards and art shows, so she was always pushing me to do that. I was also a great basketball player for a while when I wanted to be, so my father was always trying to push me to do that. I always got great grades. I got moved up into a program called Creative Learning where I would have to leave the class, and you know, you were going with other creative kids, but it actually made you feel like a weirdo when uh, you would leave and have to go. So your parents try, in the most most part, to do the best, and then they obviously want to brag about you. I did a little bit about, a little bit of that with my stepkids, not realizing that, um, that it was uncomfortable for them. So it's just a balance. I mean, I, I don't think it turns you into a mail bomber. Uh, it goes on to say, when Kaczynski was a sophomore, the Evergreen Park High School administration recommended that he skip his junior year. His band teacher and friend, James Aberto, remembers pleading with Kaczynski's father not to allow it, but Turk wouldn't listen. Quote, Ted's success meant too much to him, end quote, Aberto says. Two years younger than his classmates and still small for his age, Kaczynski became even more of an outcast in school. There was, quote, a gradual increasing amount of hostility I had to face from the other kids, end quote, Sally Johnson reports Kaczynski as admitting, quote, by the time I left high school, I was definitely regarded as a freak by a large segment of the student body, end quote. Apparently caught between acrimony at home and rejection at school, Kaczynski countered with activity. He joined the chess, biology, German, and mathematics clubs. He collected coins. He read ravenously and widely, excelling in every field from drama and history to biology and mathematics. According to account in the Washington Post, he explored the music of Bach, Vivaldi, and Gabrielli studied music theory and wrote musical compositions from a family trio. David, his brother, on the trumpet, Turk, his father, at the piano, and himself on the trombone. He played duets with Alberto. These achievements made Kaczynski a favorite of his teachers. Virtually all those with whom I talked, who knew him well in those years, saw him as studious and a member of the lowest-ranking high school clique, the so-called briefcase boys, but otherwise entirely normal. His physics teacher, Robert Rippey, described him to me as, quote, honest, ethical, and sociable, end quote. His American government teacher, Philip Pemberton, said he had many friends and indeed seemed to be their, quote, ringleader, end quote. Paul Jenkins and Kaczynski as a kind of teaching assistant to help, uh, to help, students who were having trouble in math. School reports regularly gave him high marks for neatness, quote, respect for others, end quote, quote, curiosity, end quote, quote, respect for law and order, end quote, and, quote, self-discipline, end quote. 
No one was more lavish in praise of Kaczynski than Lois Skillen, his high school counselor. Quote, of all the youngsters I've ever worked with at the college level, unquote, she wrote to Harvard, quote, I believe Ted was one of the greatest contributions to make to society. He is reflective, sensitive, and deeply conscious of his responsibilities to society. His only drawback is a tendency to be rather quiet in his original meetings with people, but most adults on our staff and many people in the community who are mature find him easy to talk to and very challenging intellectually. He has a number of friends among high school students and seems to influence them to think more seriously, end quote. Kaczynski accepted by Harvard in the spring of 1958. He was not yet 16 years old. One friend remembers urging Kaczynski's father not to let the boy go, arguing, quote, he's too young, too immature, and Harvard too impersonal, end quote. But again, Turk wouldn't listen. Quote, Ted's going to Harvard was an ego trip for him, end quote. The friend recalls. All right, so there you go, folks. It gives you a little background here on uh, his high school upbringing. We talked about what it was like in his uh, first year at college. And so we're getting a little flavor for how he grew up without going into depth on a long biography on uh, Ted Kaczynski. I think we want to sort of set the stage here as we get further into what they did to him at Harvard as he entered Henry Murray's uh, Frankenstein Laboratory where they manipulated his mind and uh, possibly caused long-term damage to the head, to the mind of Theodore Kaczynski. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. 